Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Father, thank you for giving us the freedom to study your word openly, to gather together openly. And Father, we know that our brothers and sisters around the world do not have that luxury. And so, Father, we pray for them this morning, and we lift them up. Those who are meeting in secret today, those who are meeting just in their families today, those who have not gathered the courage to tell their families yet that they believe in you. But, Father, that you would, you would comfort them through the Holy Spirit and give them the assurance of knowing that they are loved and that they are safe and secure in your arms, no matter what men do to them, that God is for them. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for holding our eternal soul in your hands and being strong enough that no one could ever snatch us out of your hands. And so, Father, we are grateful. And, Father, we offer ourselves up to you, to your service. Father, as we study your word this hour, open our minds and open our hearts to be able to understand your word clearly and to give us the courage to live it out. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Don't answer out loud, but what do you think of when you think of the body of Christ? Some of you, your mind may immediately go to Christ crucified and his body being beat and um, killed. But uh, what I want to talk about today is the body of Christ is the church body, that we are the body of Christ. <clears throat> but before we get too far in, let's, let's start off with uh, a little bit of Acts, church history. Most, most of the passages that I picked today, we actually, I have actually covered in a few of the past sermons. Um, but I want to jump back to a, a couple of them for a good reason. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, talks about Philip. Remember Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch? Let's look at his story real quick. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. So who told Philip to go and join the chariot? The Holy Spirit. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. And I, I love that. He began to tell him the gospel of Jesus, the gospel that we're all commissioned to tell, beginning in Isaiah. He went back to the Old Testament, starting where he was in Isaiah, 
and move through the Old Testament to the New Testament to tell the good news about Jesus, the coming Messiah. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. So he carried him away, and when the eunuch came up out of the water, imagine this. I mean, imagine what you would do if one day I'm in here and I'm in the baptistry and somebody comes down and I baptize someone and I take them down in the water and then you see them come back up and I'm gone. Just gone. How would you, what would you think? How would you react? What would you go on saying? I believe, I mean, and I'm going to show you that's exactly what happened. He baptized him and when he came up out of the water, Philip was gone. The eunuch came up, and there was no man. So the eunuch is traveling in his chariot. Out of nowhere, this guy shows up, shares the gospel of salvation with him, takes him down, baptizes him in the water, and then comes up, and he's gone. What would any of you say? Y'all, who would you say Philip was? You'd say he was an angel. But he wasn't. He was a man just like you and me who agreed to do what God had called him to do. The very next verse says, Philip appeared. That's important. He appeared in Azotus, or your translation may say, he found himself at Azotus. See, this is right on the heels of talking about Jesus. Jesus died, was buried, rose from the grave, and then for 40 days, what do you remember reading the scripture saying about Jesus? He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. They were in a room with locked doors. All of a sudden, he appeared. Because after the 40 days, I mean, during the 40 days, after Jesus rose from the dead, he was, and I I mean, I don't want to push anybody away, but he was teleporting. Literally, I don't know what that brings up in your mind, sci-fi movies or whatever, but that's literally what he was doing. Jesus was disappearing and appearing, disappearing and appearing. And what we see from this story about Philip is anything God wants to do, there is no barrier to him accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, even with us. You say, well, Jesus could walk on water. So did Peter. Well, Jesus disappeared and reappeared in certain rooms and different places. So did Philip. These were men who decided to follow God and do what God asked them to do. And God shows there is no barrier to him accomplishing what he wants to accomplish with your life. There's no physical barrier. He could literally, you could walk in your door at the house one day, And when you walk through the door, all of a sudden you're in another country and you could witness to a group of people that he wants you to witness to and he can translate through tongues. Language is not a barrier. And then you come back through the door and you're back in your house. It could happen. I mean, you say our pastor's done lost his mind. I'm telling you that could happen. God can do whatever he wants to do. And this right here is proof positive showing that he can do whatever he wants to do. In this place, Azotus, 
Now, he was on the road going south to Gaza, from Jerusalem down to Gaza. We don't know how far down the road he made it, but I'm just telling you, Gaza is 30 miles from Azotus. 30 miles. So what do we know? What we know is God really needed that eunuch to hear the gospel to be saved. And really quickly after that, he needed some people in Azotus to hear the gospel. And he didn't have time for Philip to travel the 30 miles by foot. He needed him there right then. So what should that encourage us to know? It means when you need something right now, God will get it to you. Period. I need it right now. God's never going to say, I didn't plan far enough in advance. I'm sorry. Whatever you need right now, he will get to you. And what does the world need more than anything else? The gospel. They need God. They need Jesus. And so do we. And once we get the gospel, and once we embrace God, and we have God, we don't stop needing him. We still need him every day. So the Holy Spirit teleported Philip. Nothing, no physical barrier can stop God from accomplishing through us whatever he wants to accomplish. Let's jump to the next one. Acts chapter 19, 18 through 20, we read about Paul. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And here's that kingdom of God I said you're never going to get away from. As long as you keep reading the scriptures, you're going to keep on seeing it. Paul, when he entered into these towns, he persuaded them about the kingdom of God, the message about God's kingdom, that we can become members of his eternal kingdom. And he is our king, and we will submit to him, and we will not just submit to him as subjects, we will be made his children. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducting discussions and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This was on this went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Could Paul, could Paul heal folks? That's not a trick question. He absolutely could heal folks. Paul could heal folks. He could heal folks so much that even pieces of cloth that had been brought that he touched, they could take that cloth back to people and would heal them. Do you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I do. Do you know that the gift of healing is a gift? It is. Do you believe that people still today have the gift of the Holy Spirit? Now, this is where a lot of people disagree, and some people say, no, those were limited to the times of the apostles. I disagree. I I would love to sit down with anybody and explain why I disagree. I believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
that were given to the New Testament church under the apostles to carry on the mission, those gifts are still given to believers today. I do believe there are still healers out there. Do I also believe that there's a lot of people who are fake healing and making a lot of profit off of it? Absolutely, I do. I, I do. And so the, the, t- the testament of whether or not someone is a healer or not, I, I don't doubt that there are, but I also believe there are people who abuse it. So I, just because I hear a story about somebody who healed somebody, Jesus said there will be many who will perform miracles in my name and cast out demons in my name and do many things in my name, who at the end of the day, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So what's my number one priority for knowing whether something's real, whether something's of God. It's not by the miracles. It's not by the, the signs and wonders. It's by the, the word. Does that pastor who has the gift of healing, whether they do or not, legitimate or not, are they preaching the word in accompanying with their healing? That is the test. If they're healing people and preaching sound the word, I'm all for it. But if they're performing healings and they're not preaching the word, they're preaching contrary to the word, I'm going somewhere else. Anyways, Paul, the reason I say this is because I'm trying to set up for next week. But but anyways, Paul could heal, no doubt about it. He had no problem healing. So I'll give you all a little something to look forward to for next week. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Now, this is important. You should know. Imagine our society is a little bit more spiritual than it is. Obviously, our society is not very spiritual at all. We would agree to that. Imagine our society was a very spiritual society. There were Jewish exorcists that you could pay to come exorcise demons out of people. I mean, that was, a, that was like a side job. You know how, like, I can get extra income by marrying people, like a side, side income? These were Jewish people who, as a side income, or if they were popular enough, a full-time income, would come and exercise demons out of people, and you would pay them. So here's some that knew about Jesus and knew about Paul, knew about what Paul was doing. Paul was doing some, some absolute miracles. He was driving out demons left and right, and they were impressed. So here's some that come, and they tried to attempt to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had spirits, and they said, this is what they said, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches to leave. And this is what happened. So I'm, I'm letting you know in case you ever find yourself in the situation where you need to cast a demon out of somebody. Here's, your, here's my advice. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they, multiple, one guy with the demons, one guy, they ran out of the house naked and wounded. The demons were not exorcised from this guy. Someone tried to exorcise the demons in the name of Jesus, but the demons ran them off. Why? Because they didn't know this guy. And he didn't know Jesus. And he didn't have the Holy Spirit of God. 
If you're going into a spiritual battle, you better not be going in it alone. You better not be trying to do it by your own strength and by your own willpower. It's not going to happen. Paul was able to heal people and Paul was able to drive out demons because he had the Holy Spirit of God in him. Trying to, uh, let, me, let me finish these verses. He went on. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone, so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. Trying to use Jesus' name to get what you want. Okay, maybe you won't ever find yourself trying to cast out a demon. Let's just put it in a, in a broader context. Trying to use the name of Jesus to get what you want. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is. I want this job. Or I want whatever. Or I want this healing. Or I want whatever the case is. Trying to use the name of Jesus to get what you want. And actually knowing Jesus are two entirely different things. The evil spirits always recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see that? When Jesus came with the Holy Spirit to towns and villages, the evil demons immediately recognized him who he was, and the Holy Spirit. They recognize the Holy Spirit of God, and they tremble, James chapter 2 says. They tremble at God's presence. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, then you can command demons to leave, and they will submit to you. Not because you are so special, but because the Holy Spirit of God is with you, and they tremble at him. But Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather what? Rejoice in what? That your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 17 to 20. Jesus had sent out the 72 disciples in pairs, sent them out to different towns to do the same ministry Jesus had done with them. He discipled them and then sent them out as disciples in training. They went out in twos. And they came back. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They came back bragging. They thought they were big stuff. They were excited that they had the power over evil spirits because they had the Holy Spirit with them. But Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus said, pride is what I watched Satan fall from heaven for. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning because of his pride. Don't, don't let you having authority over evil spirits to well up in pride in you and arrogance but just rejoice that your names are written in heaven that God has forgiven you and given you eternal life 
So God has no limitations, physical or spiritual. And that's what we need to take away from this. There's no physical situation you'll find yourself in that you say, this is it, God, it's impossible for God to come through for me and to do what I feel like he's called me to do. There are no physical limitations for God with us. And there are no spiritual limitations. You can say Satan is attacking me. All this stuff is happening. I know the enemy is against me. It doesn't matter. There are no spiritual limitations for you to be able to do what God has called you to do. Nothing can stop him. And that should assure us. That should give us hope. That should give us encouragement to know that if I trust God and will do what he's asked me to do, I will never face a situation in my life under any circumstance that he cannot accomplish what he wants to accomplish through me. Period. So, I want you to keep in mind, God doesn't give himself to us through the Holy Spirit so that we can get God to do what we want to do. Because that's always our first inclination. That's our first tendency to go down that road. When we hear these scriptures and we hear these promises, that there's, there's nothing God can stop God. God can teleport you if he wants to teleport you. He can, he can heal. He can cast out demons. He can calm storms. He can do anything you want through you. So now you think, okay, I have the Holy Spirit in me. The first thing that happens is you start to think, what can I do with the Holy Spirit for me? What can I use the Holy Spirit to do to better me? And that's completely the wrong mindset. God doesn't give you his Holy Spirit and his power in you to get him to do what you want him to do. He's given you the Holy Spirit in you so that you can do what he wants you to do. It's not getting him to do what I want. It's him enabling me to be able to do what he wants. And that's the difference. It's not, God, what can I get you to do for me? And then I pray this prayer and it doesn't happen. And God, you didn't come through. You promised there was no limitation. You didn't come through. But the whole time I was just trying to use him like a genie. The whole time I was just trying to get him to do what I wanted. The truth is he knows better. If everything happened the way I wanted, this world would be in bad shape. Because I, I don't know what's best. I don't know how every single thing that I want to happen is going to affect the future. I don't know. I want this to happen. I want this to happen. I want this to happen. But I don't know what the consequences of those things happening are. I don't know. But God does. And that's why we must trust him. We are his body. We'll wrap up with this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, this is going to get a little confusing, but I'm going to try to just just keep us on track. I have a body, and it has many parts. I have fingers, I have ears, eyes, nose. Many different parts make up a body. And that's all he's saying. Just as a body is one, one body has many parts, all the parts of that body, although there's many, it's just one body. And so also is Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body, is it? If the foot says, well, I'm a foot, I'm not a hand, so therefore I'm not part of the body, that doesn't make it not part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, stop, imagine that. If the whole body were an eye. If I was just an eye up here, a lot of you all are thinking uh, Monsters, Inc. You know, there's the big green. I know, I know a lot of people, that's first thought. Big green monster, big huge eye. If I were just an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? None of us want just one part, do we? Do we? And Paul is addressing the people who he's trying to show we don't really want the body of Christ to just be one part either. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Think about that. God decided. God has arranged each person, each individual and placed it in the body as he chose. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And here's a problem that Paul is addressing in the early church of saying, we don't need your gift. We don't, we don't, we don't need your your input. We don't need your advice. We don't need your whatever. We don't need your perspective. We don't, we, don't need, we don't need you to do what God has called us to do. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our, un, which our respectable parts do not need. And I, I just, I, I, I think that's beautiful. He says, those in the church that you think, not God, that you think are less honorable, less respectable, of a lower status, whatever the status is, however you conjured up in your mind, those that you think are less honorable, let me tell you, even with our bodies, the parts of our bodies that we consider less respectable, we clothe them with greater honor. Whereas our arms and hands, we don't clothe them. But our unrespectable parts, we give them great clothing and honor. And he's saying it's the same way it should be with the church. That even we understand in our mind those that appear to be less respectable, we give greater respect to. Those who society says are, are low class, we don't. 
we're going to give greater honor and respect to those than anybody else is because they're just as indispensable to the part to the body of Christ as anyone we say is of great honor and great status and respect. He said they are indispensable. God instead God has put the body together giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And this goes true for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, including the churches down the road. All of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the churches down the road, you know, that's a big, that's a big problem in our country, I think is that when they suffer, are we suffering with them? When they are being honored, are we rejoicing with them? Or are we jealous of them? When they suffer, are we suffering with them? Or are we saying, well, they should do it the way we're doing it? We got to change our hearts. We got to change our hearts. We got to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then verse 27, to sum it up, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You are the body of Christ. Uh, James, Pastor James Gray, I think was his name. I, I said this a few weeks ago. In a sermon that he preached, he said, Romans 12, 1 says that... Uh, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And he says, but who are we offering our bodies to? He said, we're not offering our bodies to Jesus. He has his own body. He has his, his own body. We're not offering our bodies to the Father because the Father is sitting on his throne in heaven. He said, but there's one who has come to earth without a body, the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a good one. I like it. It does break down if you if you push it too hard on certain verses. But it's a good idea to just kind of get in your mind. Where God has asked you to give him yourself, give him your body. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit of God is moving into your body. And you are willingly giving your body to the Holy Spirit, God, which you could just as easily say Christ. Christ is in you. God is in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. That's okay. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you are giving God your body to use as his. That's what you're doing. When you come to faith in Christ, when you accept his salvation, that is what he's called you to do. That's what you're offering to him. You are saying to him, I give you my body to fill with your Holy Spirit to use as your body. If you were to walk around and go to my work tomorrow, what would you do with this body if I just gave it to you? How would you use it? What would you use it to say to people? What would you use my hands to do? How would you use my body if it were just yours? And that is what God has asked us to do, to completely surrender ourselves to him, to offer ourselves to him to use as he would if he had total control.
Countless Christians have suffered tremendously and even died horrible deaths in order to follow Christ. Why have so many been willing to suffer and die for him? Because they know that their names are written in heaven. Why should we be willing to suffer and die for him? Because we know that this earth is just for a little time and our names are written in heaven forever. And so we want to give to him our bodies to use as he would to reach the people that he wants to reach everybody while we're here. We want to grow his kingdom because as hard as this life is, when this life is over, I want to be sitting around tables with people I love, eating the best food that's ever been made because y'all are there cooking it, <laughs> laughing, enjoying each other's company, talking about good times and not even talking about bad times, not even thinking about bad times. It's just all good. Living life the way God intended us to live forever. So I know the payoff is greater than you could ever imagine. I know the payoff. I know the reward. I know what's going to be given to me, the crown, the, 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 just the, the living with Jesus forever is going to be so great that I do not care how difficult this temporary life gets. I'm not giving up, and I'm not walking away, and I'm not turning my back because the payoff is worth it. And the payoff in my mind is the souls of men and women who will be there. Better than anything else is the souls of men and women who will be there because we were diligent in sharing our lives with others. I love y'all. And I, I hope that when times get hard, you think about what lies in wait for us. And not just for us, but those that we love that have gone on before us, how they're already experiencing it. They don't, have, they, they don't have to deal with all this stuff we have to deal with anymore. And that's going to be us one day. And we're not going to be here very long. Let's keep our heads up. Let's keep our faith strong. No matter how hard it gets. No matter how many prayers we pray that seem to go unanswered. No matter how many times we don't get what we wanted. We're going to trust that God knows better. God knows best. And we trust him. Therefore, we will never turn our back on him. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you have no limitations. There is no physical barriers in this world. 
that can stop you from doing anything you want to do with us. There are no spiritual forces that can fight against us and stop or hinder your plan. They, they, they run and flee in terror just at the sound of your voice. And so, Father, we know your heart. Your heart is unending, undying love for all people on this earth. So, Father, we offer our bodies willingly to you to use for your glory. We offer ourselves to you that you would use us as if you were the ones, you were the one walking around and doing the ministry that you've called us to do. So, Father, our prayer today is use us. And give us the strength and courage and boldness we need to move your kingdom forward while we're here on this earth. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. If you would join and stand, stand and join us for our last song. Amen. <clears throat> Thank y'all for coming today. Uh, I love every one of y'all. But y'all have no idea how much God loves you. And one day we're all going to find out for sure. And uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome day. And uh, I may even be able to grow a garden. So <laughs> let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we don't deserve the grace that you've given us. We don't deserve the future you have in store for us. But are we so grateful that you have? That you, that you came to this earth, that you lived a perfect life, that you, you died for our sins. And you offer us eternal life. And all that you ask us is that we would place our faith in you and trust in you. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your love for us. Father, encourage us, lift us up, comfort us, strengthen us, bolden us to storm the gates of hell, to move your kingdom forward so that we will see more faces around the table forever with you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.